Now, in college, I would argue that anybody who's in that age, right, young adult, especially guys, we need a lot of advice. We need a lot of people to come alongside us and make sure that we're doing things the right way, that we don't dig ourselves too deep a hole, right? And so, I mean, some of the best advice I ever got was, Derek, don't be an idiot. That's fantastic advice, right? Very practical to the point. Um, I remember when we were doing student ministry, one of the last things I would say to our group of students as we sent them out to public was, don't be a moron. Right? Don't be a moron. They just needed to hear that one last thing. That's what I wanted to ring in their ears as they were heading off into society, right? I didn't want to get kicked out of any place we took our students. Uh, so we need a lot of advice. There's some uh, advice, maybe the, some of the best or most practical advice I received during my college years came from one of my teammates on the soccer team I played for at Moody. And, and his name was Mike. Now, most likely, Mike was passing on a word of advice that he had heard from someone else, but we'll give him credit today, right? You don't know Mike, so what's the difference? This was Mike's word of advice to me. Now, what he told me, this piece of advice he gave me, it wasn't super revolutionary or life-altering by any means, but I thought it was pretty sound, practical advice, and so I did my best to apply it, right? Well, Mike told me, he said, hey, save 10% of every check or whatever form of income you get, save 10% of it and set that money aside for an engagement ring. I was like, that's brilliant, right? That is brilliant. Save every or 10% of every check, every income you receive. And, and then when the time comes to purchase a ring, you'll have some money set aside in order to make that purchase. And again, I thought that was a pretty good idea. And so I did exactly that. Now, Mike shared that piece of advice with me because he knew that I was dating my now wife, Erin, at that time. But it would still be another two years before we got engaged. So I had a decent amount of time to set uh, money aside and, and save for the ring. Now, before you think, wow, I got to see Erin's ring, it must be huge, right? No, I was in college, right? It's not like I was making a ton of money. I was working at the gym on campus, and when I was not in school, I had the privilege of folding everybody's T-shirts and sweaters at Old Navy, right? That's just what I was doing and working solitary confinement in the dressing room, um, just alone all the time. Um, so boring. But anyways, right, it's not like I had all of this extra money that I was just dumping into this, like, uh, ring fund. No, no, no. But, I, you know, I did have enough time to set aside a, a decent amount, so when it it came time to purchase the ring. It was, it was certainly helpful. So for all of you single fellows out there, take Mike's advice. Maybe that's something you can apply so that your bank account isn't shedding tears when it comes time to pop the question, right? <laughs> now here's the thing. We all get this, this concept of setting something aside for a specific reason or a specific purpose. And, and really, I would imagine that we do this all the time. You do this all the time, and, and we do this in a number of areas of our lives. Now, I just told you, right, I took 10% of all that income I received in, in college for the few years and set it aside for an engagement room. But we still do this with, with money in a lot of different other areas as well, right? We may set money aside when it comes time to get a new car, whether it's a new car or a used car. Or we'll put money aside 
aside when we need to get a new phone or a computer. Or we'll put money aside for a vacation that we want to go on. Maybe you're passionate about a certain cause or, or you know, a passion project that you have and you set money aside to go towards that or an anniversary trip, a honeymoon, video game console, whatever the case may be. This isn't something that's unfamiliar to us. And not to go all typical pastor on you, but hopefully we're setting aside a percentage of our income and we can give that toward the church as well. And so we do that with our money. We might also do that when it comes to the clothes we have, right? Our outfits, where we'll set certain outfits aside, maybe it's a dress, shirt, shoes, whatever, for a special occasion. Now, this past week, I happened to be in Georgia for my younger sister's wedding. Now, I don't imagine she'll be parading around in her wedding dress day in and day out, right? That is an outfit that is set aside for a very specific purpose, right? And, and so it, it, we do this with clothes, or maybe if not clothes, we'll do it with some sort of jewelry. A number of years ago, my wife inherited a pearl necklace from her grandmother. And, and obviously it holds value on a couple of different levels, and, and it's valuable to her, right? And certainly it has a lot of uh, sentimental value. And, and so it's not like, though, Aaron will wear that around the house on a normal Saturday afternoon as she's taking care of the kids, pounding through a to-do list, you know, while Reuben is grabbing at it and things like that. She's just not going to do that, right? We set certain things aside for a specific purpose or specific scenario. Maybe you own fine china, right? And, and that's something that you use a handful of times a year. And so for 95% of the year, right, it's sitting in a display cabinet or on a shelf somewhere set apart from all the other dishes. And then when Christmas or Easter rolls around or if the Queen of England ever drops by, you'll have these nice dishes that you can use, right? I remember I can see it in my mom's living room, all of the china that she owned and it was in her china cabinet. And I just remember the fear of God putting in me, uh, she put in me like, Derek, don't you dare run into that cabinet and break our fine china. We have to eat off of that four times a year, right? And it was like if we couldn't eat off of that, then we weren't going to eat at all, right? Fine china, right? And so here we have this idea of we set even some of our dishes aside. Now, I happen to be aware of this one particular family because of MTV Cribs. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, right? And I'm aware of this family who lives in Ohio, and this family, they own a car dealership. And as a result of owning this car dealership, they're fairly wealthy, hence they have a huge home, and they're on MTV Cribs. And as the TV crew was going through their house, they came to this one in particular room, this entrance of this room, and, and the family's like, no, no, you can't go in there. Well, they're like, well, why can't we go in there? Oh, this room is set aside, and, and we only go into this room on Christmas Day. I don't know about you, but I can totally relate to that, right? I have a house in which we just board up rooms for 364 days of the year and say, no kids, you can't go in there. We have to put four bunk beds in this room because 364 days of the year, we, this one's off limits. And as ridiculous as an example as that is, right, nonetheless, it's another example of how we set things aside for a specific reason or purpose. Now, believe it or not, this phrase, set apart, is used throughout 
Scripture. In fact, as I was studying this week, I, I came across a number of Bible studies that were written just on this phrase alone. The entire Bible study focused on this phrase of being set apart. And I was surprised to find how many different passages, references, verses came up when I searched the phrase set apart or set aside. And most of the time, the phrase set apart was used in the context of God setting something apart for a specific purpose. And the object that was set apart, whether it was a, a person or a thing, right? either way, God had a special plan for what, whatever was set aside. And I want to just point out a few examples to you this morning. In Exodus chapter 28 through 30, we learn that there's this guy, Aaron, and he is set apart to serve as a priest among the Israelites. In 1 Chronicles chapter 23 verse 13, it also mentions Aaron's role as a priest, and it says Aaron was set apart, he and his descendants forever, to consecrate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices before the Lord, to minister before him, and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. Now, as a way to signify that Aaron was set apart for this particular role as priest among the Israelites, God told Moses to anoint Aaron's head with oil. Now, to you and I, that might sound like an odd practice. Like, why are you pouring oil on someone's head? But throughout the Old Testament, this was a fairly common practice when it came to setting something or someone apart. Because anointing with oil symbolized the setting of something or someone apart to serve God for a special purpose. And so in addition to Aaron, we also know that the tabernacle, which was the tent used by the Israelites as a place of worship, the tabernacle was set apart and was anointed. All the things that went in the tabernacle were anointed. We also know that a number of the kings of Israel were anointed with oil. Another example of a, of a group that was set apart for a specific role was the Levites. And throughout the Old Testament, we learn that the Levites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, were set apart by God to fulfill specific religious duties on behalf of the nation of Israel. Right? The Levites were set apart to assist Aaron and all the other priests. And the majority of Numbers chapter 8, talks about the process by which the Levites were to be set apart from the rest of the nation. Numbers chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. I want to read it for us this morning. It says, Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons, and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set up the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. It was God speaking. The Levites will be mine. It's a study note that says the Levites, unlike the rest of the Israelites, they didn't own the land. They didn't farm the land. Instead, they devoted their lives into the tabernacle and the other priestly duties. Their whole livelihood was given to God for his exclusive use. We find yet another example of something set aside in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, when the Israelites were instructed to set aside a tenth or a tithe of all that their fields produced. And this was done as an offering or an act of worship to God. In Jeremiah verses, or chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, God speaks to Jeremiah and sets him apart for a specific purpose. Verse 4 and 5 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet 
to the nations. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, we learn that Paul was set apart to, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, it tells us that the entire nation of Israel is to be set apart as well. God says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. See, as you can see, this, there's this concept of being set apart. It's, it's this thread that is weaved throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And it's a concept that is still very applicable, very relevant for our lives today. Because just like the Israelites who were called by God to be set apart, you and I, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you identify yourself as a Christ follower, we have the very same calling. We've been called to be set apart. I'd invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles or navigate in your YouVersion Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And 1 Peter is a fairly short book of the Bible. You'll find it close to the very back, the very end of the Bible. And if you turn to the very last book, that's Revelation. And if you start working your way back from there, you'll hit Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then 1st and 2nd Peter. And we're going to be talking or uh, looking at a couple of verses again from 1 Peter chapter 1, specifically verses 15 and 16. And this is what Peter has to say as he's writing this letter. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. You see, our calling as followers of Jesus is to be holy. Peter says, be holy in all that you do. And perhaps you're wondering, well, well what does holiness have to do with being set apart? Right? I thought we were talking about being set apart. You just gave us all of these examples. You talked about how this phrase, being set apart or being set aside, is seen throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. So what do these two terms, this phrase is holiness and, and setting, being set apart, what does that have to do with one another? But see, it's important for us to understand that these two verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, they apply to what we're talking about this morning. Because one aspect of the definition of holiness is to be set apart. One theological dictionary says, holy is a biblical term generally meaning to be set apart. The term is used widely in Scripture to refer to a variety of people and objects alike, but ultimately points to God as the one who is qualitatively different or set apart from creation. Now, I get it. When you hear the word holy, the phrase set apart might not be the first thing that comes to mind, right? Typically, we hear the word holy and we think, man, that, that's God. That is who God is. That is an attribute of God. That is a, a characteristic, a quality of God. He, he is defined by this word, or really God defines this word. He is the definition. And if that's what's going through your mind, well, then you're 100% right. God is holy. And Scripture is clear about that, right? And, and it's this idea that God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. God is holy. However, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, God calls us to be holy as well. God is holy, but we are also called to be holy. 
Now, not to nerd out on you guys too much, but holiness is what theologians, right, guys who study the Bible and, and study God, right, they consider holiness to be a communicable attribute of God. A communicable attribute of God. And if you're like, what? Well, it's a simple definition, really, a simple concept. Communicable attributes are aspects of God's character that he shares with us as human beings, right? That's all that means. Communicable attributes are attributes or characteristics of God, traits of God that are also shared by us as humans. So as a communicable attribute, Holiness is a characteristic of God that is also shared by us. A few other examples of, of these shared attributes of God are, are wisdom and knowledge and jealousy and wrath and truthfulness and faithfulness. And, and we could go on and on and on, right? Because here's the thing. On some level, human beings share these same characteristics with God. And of course, the degree to which these attributes or characteristics are evident in our lives pale in comparison to with the, the perfection that they are displayed in God's own life, right? But we share them nonetheless. For example, I am knowledgeable. I have the ability to know things. I have the ability to understand things. But I'm not all-knowing like God is. So there's a difference yet we still share these same attributes. And so all of that to say, the holiness of God ought to be imitated in our lives. The holiness of God ought to be imitated in our lives, right? As Christians, we're called to pursue holiness. And 1 Peter chapter 1 isn't the only place in Scripture where we find that call on our lives, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And so if we're called to be holy, if we're called to pursue holiness, to share this attribute with God, what does that mean, right? I mean, because it's a pretty mind-blowing concept to share this idea of, of God is holy, and yet I'm supposed to be holy as well. And so what does that mean? Well, I think to answer that question, we have to go back to the definition of holiness and understand that it means we as Christians need to be set apart. We need to be set apart. Psalm chapter 4, verse 3, David writes, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And in his letter to the believers in the city of Corinth, Paul writes, Now it is God who makes us, uh, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, there's a lot to unpack, and we could spend a lot of time talking about these two verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But really, I want to focus on three words this morning. Right? Three words from this verse. Is, it's he appointed us. Right? He appointed us. Because while Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth, right? In the New Testament, most of it is, is letters to believers in certain cities. And Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Corinth. And, and he's letting them know that God has appointed them. 
And while those people in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, were the original recipients of Paul's letter, that phrase, that concept of he, God appointing, or anointing, excuse me, them, that also applies to us, believers everywhere, including you and me. You see, similar to how Aaron was anointed, how Aaron was set apart to serve God as a priest among the Israelites, right? We, we talked about that at the beginning of the message. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have been anointed by God. One commentator writes, today all who believe in Jesus are anointed. That is, set apart from unbelievers to serve God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, this is our calling to be set apart in order to serve God. And so in other words, our call to be holy means that our lives ought to look different from those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Our lives as Christians ought to look different. And Romans 12 verse 2 is very clear about that. Paul writes, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And we can spend a lot of time talking about or identifying, well, what does he mean pattern of this world? And I don't think it's that difficult for us to understand. We, we could kind of come up with some ideas of, okay, this is the pattern of this world, right? And this is what the world promotes. This is what the world celebrates. And Paul is saying, hey, don't do that stuff anymore. Don't be like them anymore. Don't conform to what is normal for them. And see, once we understand that we've been set apart, that we've been called to holiness. It should have an impact on every aspect of our lives, top to bottom, inside out. Now you might be wondering, okay, but, but what does that look like? Right, like I, I get it, I understand we're supposed to be set apart, but practically speaking, how is that supposed to look in my life? What is imitating the holiness of God actually look like? Well, thankfully, Scripture provides the answers to these questions. And we're going to start by looking at another verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. Right? In verses 15 and 16, which we read earlier, Paul, or excuse me, Peter calls Christians to be holy. He says, be holy in all that you do. But the call to holiness really begins in verse 14. This is what Peter writes. He says, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, now this verse, especially the phrase, as obedient children, we see that Paul is, or excuse me, Peter is assuming that those who are reading this letter have a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you read the whole letter, you already know that because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. And so we already understand that Paul, excuse me, Peter here, I can't get Paul off the brain, uh, Peter here um, is writing to the Christians. He's writing to believers. We already know that. But this phrase, as obedient children, is only a way to emphasize this point. You see, because that word children, Peter is referencing their identity as a child of God. Once they put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, they've become a child of God. And so he's assuming that they have a relationship with him. But this, this verse also does something else. This phrase, 
is also super important for us this morning because it helps us to understand that one of the determining factors of our holiness is our obedience. As obedient children. In essence, Peter is getting at one leads to the other. Now, by no means am I saying that our holiness is based solely on our effort, our ability. That's not what I'm talking about, right? But what I am saying is that we have a role to play. You'll have to go back a number of weeks and listen to Pastor Grant's message about how we have a role to play in our sanctification, this idea that we become more and more like Jesus. And ultimately, God is responsible for that. The Holy Spirit is responsible for that. But we are not to be act or just bystanders to that process. We're supposed to be active participants. And so this is what Peter is getting at when he says, hey, your obedience will lead to your holiness. And so are we obedient to the way of life that God is calling us to live? Or do we conform to our evil desires? Now, if you think about it, Scripture as a whole is providing us with instructions for how to imitate God's holiness in our lives. And as believers, you and I have a choice to make. Will we submit and obey, or will we do our own thing, whatever we want to do? For the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at a few passages that provide us with some basic instructions. Really, they're lists of what we should and should not do. And in essence, these passages lay out the requirements of holiness. Now, of course, there are plenty of other passages that could be read and studied about this topic, but, but these passages will help us at least get started, right? They'll give us uh, an understanding or further our understanding of what a holy, set-apart life looks like. And so as we read these passages, ask yourself, am I living in obedience, right? Am I living in obedience? Or, or probably a better way to ask that same question is, am I living set apart as described by God's word? Am I living set apart as described by God's word. Because see, you and I, we're really good at playing this game of comparing, right, of comparison. And we can look around at other believers or we can look at those outside of their church and say, well, I'm, I'm doing things better than they are, so I must be set apart. But we have to understand that, that holiness, the standard of holiness, isn't based on comparison, right? It's based on the word of God. God is setting the standard for what holiness looks like. And so really, it doesn't matter how we measure up to anyone else when it comes to holiness. Are we living set apart as described by God's word. That's really all that matters. And so as we read these passages, have that question in mind. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, It is God's will that you be sanctified, meaning becoming more and more like Jesus, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Or what about Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14? Paul writes, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore it is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. 
The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Galatians 5 goes on to talk about this even more. And we know this passage, verses 16 through 26, in the latter half of that, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul gives a list that is very similar to the one in Romans where he says, don't do these things. But a life that is pursuing holiness ought to be producing this kind of spiritual fruit that he talks about, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And see, we can go on and on and on, just covering passages that kind of give us these lists of, hey, these are the things we're supposed to do. This is what we should avoid. But at the end of the day, the, the main idea is that we need to think, as Christians, we need to think differently. We need to act differently. We need to speak differently. One person puts it like this. To be holy is to live your life set apart in such a way that people can tell there's something different about you without you telling them. And I think that's an interesting thought, something that we need to consider. Do people know we're different by how we live our lives? How would our friends, neighbors, families, coworkers, classmates, how would they describe us? Do people know we're different by how we live our lives? Now perhaps you're hearing all this, this today, this morning, and and you're like, yeah, okay, this is, this is just a reminder for me. Maybe you've been in church for a, a long time, decades and decades. You've been a Christ follower for a number of, different, uh, for a number of years. And, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is a reminder of our call to holiness. And, and maybe it's also served as a reminder of, of how we need to get back to the basics, right? A reminder of how important it is to live in obedience to Scripture. But here's why we need to be reminded of that from time to time. Because as you and I know, we live in a time and in a society that is constantly urging us to live in opposition to Scripture. We're constantly being challenged to adopt beliefs, practices, ideologies that aren't in line with Scripture. And we're being encouraged to conform to the pattern of this world rather than being set apart and living a holy life. And so while this may serve as a reminder for us, it's a reminder we regularly need. Because you and I all know that it's one thing to know and understand that we've been called to live set apart, that we've been called to live a holy life. But it's a whole other thing to live it out and fulfill that calling. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I set apart? Am I set apart? And as we close, that's the question I want you to consider. Am I set apart? And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, someone who's put your faith and trust in him for their salvation, then the answer is yes. By nature that your relationship, by nature of your relationship with Jesus, you've been set apart. Positionally, God has said, move you from here 
to hear, right? You are set apart by nature of the fact that you have a saving relationship with him. But when it comes to how you're living your life on a daily basis, is there any distinction between you and those who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Are you living in obedience? Are you pursuing holiness? And I would imagine there would be a number of us who are willing to say, yeah, I I have some work to do in this area. There's some changes that I need to make. And the reality is that's true for all of us. We all have some more growing to do in this area. And so maybe we need to ask, are there any activities or relationships in my life that are hindering my growth and holiness? Perhaps there's something going on that's making it difficult for us to be separated from the sin in our lives. And once we've identified those things, we need to begin to pray, ask God that he would work in our lives through the Holy Spirit to help us to overcome those obstacles so we can live out that calling to be holy, to be set apart. And we need to surround ourselves with other godly individuals who can hold us accountable and keep us going in the right direction. See, for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us who are Christ followers, It is so vitally important that we live out our calling to be set apart. And we're going to talk about why that is next week. But perhaps you're here this morning and and everything we're talking about is new information, right? You're trying to make sense of it all. And if that's where you're at this morning, man, we're so glad you're here. If, if religion and church and Jesus are new to you, or you're still trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, then it's likely you haven't yet made that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And, and that's okay if that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you haven't yet begun that relationship with him. And so if that's the case, the reality is you are not yet set apart, right? But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to change that. See, it's super important that you understand that, that God wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you, and he wants you to be saved. And the only way to go about making that happen is to enter a relationship with his son, Jesus. Now, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Jesus has already done all the work on our behalf. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, if, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I want to make that decision. I, I'm ready to be set apart. I'm ready to commit my life and live for Jesus. Then when it comes to being saved, it's, it's really all about saying something like this. But before I even lead you in that prayer, you need to know it, it's not really the exact words that I say. It's more these ideas, these concepts that you would genuinely believe them and say, and claim that for yourself. Like, yes, this is what I want. And so if you're ready to make that decision today, I want to lead you in a prayer. I would invite you all to bow with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again. And today I ask that you forgive me and save me. And as best as I know how, I commit to living my life for you. I commit to being set apart for your glory. Amen. And if, and if that's something that you prayed this morning, right, you, you made that step, something that you prayed for the very first time, we'd love to be able to celebrate that with you. 
And, and we'd encourage you to take out a connection card, write down your name on the front side of that, maybe a, a phone number or an email address. And, and then on the back side of that card, simply write, set apart. Right, set apart, drop that in the offering basket as they go by here in a few minutes. And we'd love to be able to follow up with you and just say, hey, that is an awesome decision, right? And we want to celebrate that with you and then provide you with some next steps as you can grow in your relationship with God. Again, though, the reality is no matter where we're at, whether we've already made that decision to put our faith and trust in Jesus or we're still making that decision, right, we have work to do. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that work through us. It's not all about what we can do, right? We have to be dependent on God always. But he's called us to make every effort to live in holiness, to pursue holiness. And so I hope we'll strive to do that just this morning and this week.